Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. On Facebook and Instagram, we're the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by someone who is objectively a podcasting juggernaut, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I am very good, Gerald, because as I've said before, um, you are not defined, you or I or, or anyone, uh, not defined by how good your particular rooting interest of a sport team is on the field does not define your self-worth or, or, or well-being. Team's good. It's fun. If they're not, you're not any worse of a person. I'm not any worse of a person. Um, and so in that sense, me personally, I'm all right. I'm doing just fine. Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday of the year on the horizon. Got to see some family. Had a great uh, weekend. Wife got a new car. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going what? on in, in the world. You know, it's easy to forget that. There's some good stuff going on. I had to remind myself of that this week. And I was I woke up and I was kind of in a mood, right? On Saturday or on Sunday, I woke up and I was just not not in a great mood. I was just, it was like a funk, right? And then my son said, Dad, can we put up the Christmas tree? It's like, yep, let's do it. So we put up the Christmas tree and we watched Christmas movies and I'm... And, you know, I don't care about your opinions on when I can and cannot put up my Christmas tree. I have three children, and when a four-year-old looks at you, uses good manners and says, can we put up the Christmas tree? You know what? I'm going to do it. So it gave me some perspective that, you know what? The sun rose on Sunday, and it may have sucked, but we got another day, and things will be all right at some point. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, Texas lost to Kansas. For what amounts to the second time in five years, Texas lost to Kansas at football. It's... Now their first five-game losing streak since 1956, the first time Kansas has won in Austin in the entirety of that rivalry and the, the Jayhawks' first Big 12 road win since the year of our Lord 2008. Now, we're, we're going to put an asterisk and a caveat on this as we'll talk about the game, and there were some actual good things that happened specifically on the offensive side of the ball, and so those are all, again, couched in the fact that, like, 
Texas lost to Kansas in football, right? But there are some positives that we could take away, at least from the offensive performances. The defense will spend a few, but we'll, we'll probably dovetail into just like, where do you go from here? Where do you go from here and what do you do, Kyle? And I think that's kind of where we want to start is like, what what is your read on where we're at? And like, what's next for Texas? Yeah, so yes, yeah, I agree with you, Gerald. I think the caveat because listeners, you know, we, we are the podcast with a bit of snark built in, maybe snarkily uh, listening to everything we say henceforth. And, and you know, if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's positive, they could add a pejorative, uh, yeah, against Kansas. And if it's negative, you know, it can be exacerbated by, yeah, against Kansas. So uh, we'll do that. We'll get in and we'll break the game down as we do. But I think for this particular game and for this particular point in the season um, and, and, truly what feels like a rock bottom maybe we thought it was rock bottom before and as Mindy Kaling said she found a a sub basement underneath rock bottom um maybe we're there maybe we're in the sub basement below rock bottom but I I, I think the flaws are exposed you, you understand the culture issues you see the divide between the 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 players who were bought in who are Sark guys whether he specifically recruited them or not um the players who were bought in who are just Texas above everything, guys, um, and then the maybe the players who aren't, and uh, there will be some changes coming. Uh, Sarkeesian talked about you know a roster turnover, a third of a roster, thirty three uh, new faces. You know whether that's recruits transfers, we could talk about that a bit, but um, there will be something different going forward. Um, I think I think when we talk about this, it's not good. This is not a good thing for Texas. We know that no one is sitting here praising it, but. We're going to look a little bit at this game and find some sneaky, hidden, elite things in the middle of one of the worst games in Texas history uh, at all, which is which is wild to say. And, and obviously, when you look at that, you think about what changes can be made. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about why we agree or disagree on changes being made and what the timeline on that should be and what that solves and what other issues it creates. But I think this the, the, the big high-level kind of takeaway before we get into it is just stop and think about we are surprised no one here is uh disagreeing that something different needs to happen i don't know that throwing gasoline on the fire adding vitriol being angry shouting into the void of the internet is necessarily going to expedite and if any of the the, the big money donors we, you know we know you listen to um you have a little bit more you shout into a much uh, less of a void where, where people actually listen. But maybe just the shouting in general is the part. We should all just pause a little bit. Let's ride this season out. Let's look at recruiting. Let's see how this finalizes. And then let's start talking about rebuilding and 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 actually program building and actually uh, moving forward. So, yes, we lost to Kansas. It's terrible. It's as bad as it gets. You lost to Kansas at home. There's no silver lining to this whatsoever. Don't hear me pump sunshine but it happened unfortunately there has to be a bottom that we've hit and i can't imagine anything (laughs) worse than this um so you know what does the climb back up look like and i think the good thing about this if this is truly the bottom i feel like this gives sark and company full permission to rip this thing down to the studs and i mean that metaphor in a lot of different ways because i think there are some dudes on both sides of the ball that you can build around Now, there's not a ton of them, and it may look completely different 
save for a couple of guys next year. But even on the offensive side of the ball, a guy like Casey Thompson, like if you, I, I tweeted this out on Sunday morning, but if you, if you gave me a, a note card that said Casey Thompson passes for 358 yards, six touchdowns, and rushes for another touchdown, I put my mortgage payment on Texas to win that game. If, by 30 and a half points. If only half of Biff Tannen's sports almanac tore off and you <laughs> right. just saw Casey's exactly. stat line, you would bet it all. <laughs> exactly. I'd bet it all. Like, I would have. And, like, if, if you tell me, and, and I hedged my bets last week on this on the Pod Stradamus, but if you tell me Xavier Worthy goes for 150 and three touchdowns, I'm like, dope. Texas runs away with this thing. They don't play the third quarter. They don't play the fourth quarter. And so, like, that, I think that is the most frustrating thing for me at this point is, like, I can see the points in the season where this could have gone the other way, right? If that one minute in the first half doesn't happen where Texas gives up all of the points they gave up basically <laughs> in the first half, if that minute doesn't happen where you've got two turnovers and a couple of scores, like that is a completely different game. If Xavier Worthy and Casey Thompson make the same right call, the heart like on, on that third down that was right outside of Worthy's hands, if you go back and watch the game, Worthy and Thompson both made the right read to beat the zone but they made different reads to beat the zone. And so Worthy sat down in the gap and Thompson was trying to throw him into space. And both of those were the right read and they just made different reads. And so that again is the really frustrating thing for me. And we've been saying that for like, six years now yeah. there were times in the charlie strong era yeah. where we said that there were a lot of times in the tom herman era where we said that yeah. and so that to me is the crazy thing is that we're still here and that's really really frustrating and here is such a relative term gerald it, it the the hope of the char of the tom herman era that made it seem a incredibly frustrating but b palatable to not be where texas fans assumed and expected that we should be by a year four was that we lost all those games by you know a combined 13 points by if this one play if these series of five plays go differently we could butterfly affect this thing really easily right and maybe make that argument maybe for some halves or some quarters this season or a single injury or play or you know if they just got out the ou game and something doesn't break in the psyche or whatever um you could butterfly effect this one, but but here, Gerald, where you say here, we have been here basically not even post-Mac since the, the, the last years of Mac Brown, a, a better part of a decade. There have been some good moments in it, a Sugar Bowl win and, and, and some memorable players and some memorable plays. But we have not been an elite program that I think we should be and deserve to be. We've had elite players but haven't put it all together for whatever reason, whatever cultural rot, whatever systemic issue there is. It is it is um, pervaded longer than players. It has pervaded longer than coaches, which, you know, you could look at certain positions that have had seven or eight in that time, you know. Um, it, it, it has something is rotten in the state of Austin and, and it doesn't seem to be a single coach, a single player, a single thing. And, and, and I'll just say this, you, you look at the amount of former players bought in commenting, upset, disgusted by this, expecting calling for more. And that's a good thing. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of mining that you can do from those guys, either ones who had success at Texas or ones who, you know, have gone on to have success at the next level who maybe didn't have the success even that they wanted at the University of Texas and figure it out. Chris Beard has done the, you know, hashtag unite the family and 
and and I understand and appreciate that from the basketball perspective, but the football family is already pretty united. Now it's just, um, you know, it's a matter of, of aligning our fans, the former players, the current players, the coaches, the expectation of the administration, the, the athletic department, kind of just understanding where we are, tactical next steps, and then, and then allowing space to breathe and to do it right to, to execute it. No one, Steve Sarkeesian did not expect this year to be this bad. No one thought this year would be this bad. Do there be pains, but this bad. But you can't change that. That that can't be changed. Where do we go from here? I wish I knew. I think I'd be getting paid more if I knew sure. where we go from here specifically. But I think part of it goes to the fact that, like, you know, everybody points to Casey Thompson's injury as, like, where things went sideways. Mm-hmm. And, like, yes, but I also think the injury that happened the week before to Denzel Okafor has a lot to do with where Texas is now because an already thin offensive line got thinner and you had to, like, slide and replace and slit and slot guys in and out. And the offensive line, this is going to be a hot take and whatever. You're probably going to scream in your car or you're going to drop whatever (laughs) weight you're lifting or you're going to stop running, whatever you're doing when you listen to this. But here's the hot take. The offensive line has progressed over the year. The offensive line has gotten better over the year. And I put it out there on Twitter. There are there are some advanced statistics, specifically in the running game, where Kyle you can see Kyle Flood is doing his job. He was the top offensive line coach last year, led that unit to the top offensive line at Alabama of the year. And this year, Texas is better than that offensive line unit at Alabama. Granted, they, they lost a guy or two. I don't remember the exact numbers. But Texas is better than them in stuff rate. Texas is better than them in offensive line yards per rush. And they're the same in your power success rate. So against the run specifically, they're also, I think, giving up the same number of sacks per game. So like Kyle Flood is doing his job with what amounts to a mash unit of guys that we talked about it last week. Texas has only had four players in the top, like 250 players in the country on the, along the offensive line in the last five recruiting cycles. So the level of talent he has is just bearing itself out on the field. And I think he's gotten these guys pretty close to their ceiling and that sucks. And it means that he's, he's going to have to be, he's going to have to like literally sit on Chris Beard's desk and say, help me figure out this portal thing so I can get some guys in here and restock the cupboard. But that to me is really where the season got weird is that the offensive line that was already not doing well, got worse by losing one of his most experienced players. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, the, the injury to Thompson happened to know you, but that was also the injury to Jordan Whittington. And and we've talked about it. The defense has looked historically bad. There's, there's no doubt, but there've also been times you think about the first half of Iowa state, there have been times when they have played really, elite and then just got hung out to dry we talk about how good this offense is this offense is is so hot or cold hit or miss you know Jekyll and Hyde it can be in the same game you know an elite unit and then just an absolute you know uh vehicle you know void of gas it is it is parked on the side of the road you know smoke coming out hood up because there there is no gas uh not even brakes it's just it's broke down um and and and, you know Whittington was a huge part of that three-headed monster of of worthy Whittington and Bijan what they could do obviously there's there's some other players but uh you know that was expected to be the nucleus so yeah an injury to your quarterback sure that he's gritted through um, you know, injury now to your star running back. But I think, you know, your chain moving third down player uh, is is one thing. And then again, when you look at our defensive stats, also think about that. Look at how much time of possession we'll talk about it. Kansas had in this one. I mean, our defense was on the field two thirds of this game against Kansas. Um, and, and the offense was not 
they had turnovers. They weren't just inept or, you know, couldn't move the ball. They, they completed passes just sometimes to the wrong team um, and, and moved the ball. Uh, but they also scored quick sometimes. And they basically just let Coach uh, Leopold and, and the Kansas offense just kind of methodically slice through them, uh, not with huge, huge explosive plays all the time, just, you know, good solid offense and good ball control the way that you you underdog your way through like a kid like a guy from kansas just you know all shucks no one pay attention to me i'm just gonna go ahead and (laughs) go ahead and win here and and they did um and uh credit to them in that program but yeah i think you know there are questions to be asked on all sides of the ball i don't think a single injury uh necessarily did everything but a couple no. of these seminal moment, moments did actually change the course of the season. You're right, Gerald, and I think the offensive line, it can't be overstated how kind of how much every piece of that offense is is hampered at various times by that unit. I, I wish I had a, a single incident, inciting incident, for some of the defensive struggles because I, I can't point to one injury. There's games over, Shone's gone out, but I, I can't point to one single event. But I do think you're right. I think the Whittington injury and I think uh, Okafor uh, on the line certainly you know hurt the offense, which in turn hurt the defense. So maybe it's just that trickle down. When you're two games under 500 and you lose to Kansas, there are a lot of other things that went wrong. <laughs> but I just want, again, you mentioned like the butterfly effect, like what happened there. So diving in actually on the game, and we'll do this briefly. We mentioned Casey Thompson, 30 for 43 for 358 and six touchdowns, completed 70% of his passes and uh, had a 181.1 passer rating. He actually now is just one of five people to have two of the top 20 passing performances of all time. And he ties one Colt McCoy as being the only other Texas quarterback to throw six touchdowns in a game. Uh, Thompson had one of the guttiest moments I think we've seen where he threw an interception to kind of end it. And then the defense got the stop and he went down and scored the game tying touchdown um, with 44 seconds left on the clock. He got the ball back. And so uh, that like, is, again, is emblematic of Casey. He's pro- he is not a world beater. He is not the all world guy, but he's a guy that is trying his best to win games for Texas. And especially when his receivers help him out, Xavier Worthy, we mentioned it 14 for 52, uh, 14 for 152 and three touchdowns targeted a whopping 23 times. His performance puts him ahead of Roy Williams and both yardage and touchdowns uh, for a a freshman season. And he will likely be one of the top statistical wide receivers in Texas history uh, at the end of his three years on campus. You look at what Worthy did. We talked about uh, an injury to Casey Thompson, but Worthy also seemed nicked up somewhere around target like 11, and he got 12 more of them, 23 targets. I don't have a stat on that. Might be a record, I, I kind of assume, is a record uh, for, for targets, which is not a stat that's historically been tracked with with that level of detail. Um, but maybe a, a UT record, it certainly is is one of the most I've ever seen uh, in myself. But um, just to gut through and do that, Marcus Washington, a guy who I just, you know, there was a play when they were down 20 something points and he caught a pass and drug people, you know, five or six yards, like just fighting for it, you know, just fighting the whole way. Um, you, you love to see that. That's, that's that buy-in that you're looking for. Um, you know, one of those is a little bit been around the program a little bit longer worthy is a new kid. So, you know, you find those across classes. Sure. Um, the, the, the Hudson card kind of play was, was, was tough. I think he got his mistakes out. I wonder if there was meat left on the bone, if he settled in, if this was a game that, that went to script and Casey Thompson only threw for 200 some odd yards and four touchdowns and went out and card got to throw a lot more and they were up 
you know, 21 points. I bet Hudson Card could have done some things against this defense, but as it was, you know, they had one edge rusher who just whipped whoever we put at left tackle, and he got both of our quarterbacks for a uh, a forced fumble. But, um, you know, it, uh, Card had the pick six where he, he, he was late and stared a guy down and, and tried to squeeze it to the outside, which is just a no-no. That's a freshman move. Um, he has the arm strength, but maybe overconfident in it. And then, you know, the fumble otherwise was was okay. His, his passes that he did make were, were okay. Um, I think Thompson was certainly more of the gamer, more of the guy who could make things happen, and, and that's why he got 43 to Hudson's five. Um, the pick six was a backbreaker. And I'll just say this, Gerald. Again, I know we're diving into specifics. The fight that Texas did show after the pick six and then the 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 getting pinned on your own two when you let a kickoff bounce off your shins or whatever, I, it was a very weird play from another freshman uh, who we love. But uh, that could have been the point where it got ugly, ugly. Like Kansas walks out with a 30-point win in Texas and they fire you know everyone and shut the program down for like three years and restart it. Um, but <laughs> they fought back at least in the second half, give them credit for that there was some fight in this offense and again from specific people I think both those receivers we mentioned and and, and Thompson uh and then Roshan Johnson give him some credit we'll talk about the rushing yards but a guy who, who was technically the fourth running back uh or I guess third because uh, Keelan was officially out but um Brooks was ahead of him as a healthy body um but came in when there were, weren't bodies and, and made it and you saw some guys who who had heart on this offense and I don't think you should the offense should have to score more than 56 points to beat Kansas that's just my opinion yes if the offense puts up 500 plus yards and 56 points again i think texas should win that game by by multiple scores baby sets uh or or covers the line that was 30 and a half Bijan uh for his efforts 14 for 70 with a long uh, of 16 he was looking good late in the game and then went out with a um Apparent it was you knew when he hit the ground and his arm was still that it was a bad one, but he will be done for the rest of the year with that injury, um, which absolutely sucks when you need to win the next two to make a bowl game. Jonathan Brooks came in and looked really good in his uh, relief for them. Again, it's Kansas, but it is also Kansas this week. Uh, So he went out after he had back-to-back really good plays. He was on the receiving end of some checkdowns and made some good plays and made some guys miss. And then it looks like he's going to be week to week with a shoulder injury. They're trying to get him back before the end of the year. Roshan had to dust it off and try again. He was going to be held out due to turf toe, but Roshan being the absolute toughest guy on the team, mm-hmm. one of the two toughest guys, because Xavier Worthy was also playing hurt. Yeah. So those two guys, um, when we talk about the studs that you're tearing it down to, those are two guys you build around right there. Roshan, Xavier Worthy, and Bijan. And probably even Jonathan Brooks. Those are those are four guys that you can build an offense around, uh, at least from a skill position standpoint. And so the running back room is weird and a mess at this point. Uh, Keelan Robinson is likely to be cleared Tuesday, the day you're listening to this, from the COVID protocol. So he should be available for West Virginia. But the running back room that was once a strength for Texas and now down to a senior transfer, a guy who used to be a quarterback who's now an incredible running back, and a D2 transfer running back who has seen zero meaningful snaps as a Longhorn. He's done great in spring games. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 
it's it's it's less than ideal, but again, you can't have you can't have twenty three running backs on the roster. Running backs is a that's a tough position. You get a lot of hits. It's especially the amount that we've used our running backs in the passing game. It, it is tough. Uh, I think Bijan had almost another fifty three for forty eight and a touchdown through the air. Right, so you know we we use our running backs and specifically him in the passing game. Roshan actually had three catches for nineteen yards to move to even get us tied on those final drives that he gutted out, and I think he may have had like total five air yards those were all just yard after contact yard after catch um but yeah i mean it, it, it's a tough position maybe maybe you have five guys but four feels pretty solid it's it's just it, for Bijan to go out is a heartbreaking event they scored a touchdown on the next play um he was trying to get it he put his arm down to catch his weight and then the arm basically took a player to it um which is a tough thing it's a football thing but it's a tough thing but they score on the next play and then the very next drive is when brooks comes out with like a double like a 10 yard plus run uh a 10 plus yard catch and then hurts his shoulder right it's just like wow are you kidding me you know the the luck has not been there all year for texas we know that but you know it just I, I, I don't know that we win this game if any of those injuries happen differently or anything. I'm just it's just it's terrible for the, for those players and it's terrible for like Gerald said the the offense uh, that is going to be relied upon for sure to maybe not outright but play a large part in winning the next two games if that's even anything more than a fever dream and making bowl eligibility. So um, rest up, get in the ice tub. If you're on if you're in Austin, you know, uh make sure these guys are bubble wrapped. Don't take scooters anywhere near them. Uh <laughs> you know, whoever we got healthy of those those players we just named, uh keep them as healthy as we can, Thompson worthy, uh Roshan and maybe Keelan if he if he should be good. So, it's unfortunate, but you know, that those are all all dudes and and it's okay if you don't have a bunch of them, use the ones you got. Uh you can find you can find thirty five points out of that group. I feel confident about it. They're going to need something from the combination of Keelan, Roshan, and or Gabe Watson because West Virginia is going to run the ball. So you need at least thirty five points from the offense on Saturday, or things are going to go sideways yet again. Defensively, I I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, they came out flat. And Kansas jumped all over them. Yep. And that's all you can really say about it. It's not just playing Kansas, but playing Kansas with a backup quarterback and you give up 49 points in regulation. Yep. I'm not one to, t- and we'll talk about this and bang the drum. I don't think we need to fire the coaching staff. Sark said it in his Monday presser, and I agree with him. These guys didn't forget how to coach defense. They didn't forget how to do that. Um, I do have questions about Pete Kwiatkowski and his choices for alignment and all the self-scouting air quotes they did last week to look at uh, tendencies because none of that was changed on Saturday against Kansas, and Kansas took advantage of it uh, on the ground. Devin Neal rushed 24 times for a buck 43 and three touchdowns. Texas is now statistically one of the worst running defense in school history, period. And they're going to get worse. They could be the worst running defense in school history, but it's all said and done by the end of the next two games. Like that is inexcusable. And if Texas, and I'll just go, if Texas had a serviceable defense, mm. I don't even say good, a serviceable defense, they were probably two and a half games better on wins and losses. I agree, Gerald. I, I think Luke Brockermeyer is such a good feel-good story, and but 
how great would it be if, if Luke's coming in in packages instead of playing every <laughs> single down? You know, and that's just asking him to do a lot. How great would it be if Dylan Schooler was a guy you brought in, you know, to to get downhill and stop screen passes and not um, be the last line of defense and make open field tackles and potentially whiff them to let guys run in, in for touchdowns? Um, you know, uh, Chet Bush, love the kid, love his story. He's a, he's a team favorite. But what if he wasn't? responsible for, for for setting the edge you know um uh, against running attacks that seems to be our area of weakness um i mean there weren't a lot of things to highlight as pluses i guess they broke up a couple passes um but it it, it felt like they were in this weird soft zone where they weren't communicating with each other and you know the the brilliant minds of both Kansas offensive coordinator and backup quarterback were able to, you know, just slice it up for short underneath easy, consistent games. I mean, 21 uh, for 30 for 202 yards for, for Jalen Daniels is just such a efficient, easy line. That doesn't look bad if you only give up 45 yards rushing. Uh, but if you give up 200 something, that's not so great. Um, Daniels himself accounted for 45 of those rushing yards. Uh, a lot of third downs, just key runs, a touchdown where he just stunted all over Texas defense. I mean, good for the kid coming in on the national stage and making his mark. But I mean, Texas had one sack, one hurry, and a third down blitz that either a trip or a block just as he was going by that caused him to fall at the quarterback's feet, uh, you know, after getting a third down stop previously uh, that that was basically their pressure on the day. I guess the hold on the final two point conversion, uh, they obviously had pressure there to be held, but that would, they just, they weren't whether that was a choice because they were worried about the legs of Daniels. It felt like there was some, some maybe again, anticipating an option type offense and Kansas for the second time in, in, two years really because they didn't play last year came with something new for texas that we hadn't seen and revamped the offense had a different quarterback so they could do that um but did it pretty well uh freshman devin neal maybe the story of the game big 12 offensive player of the week uh kansas hadn't had one of those in a while uh rushed 24 times for 143 yards three touchdowns he was the number one player in the state of kansas he's from lawrence he got you know i think oklahoma state offered him iowa offered him he got some decent schools he was a high three uh star kid not a bad running back but again i just don't know that a freshman from lawrence kansas unless he's otherworldly should necessarily be running for 143 yards and three touchdowns um against Texas defense any year. I just, I, I, it's, it's, it, it is scheme. It is execution. It is certainly a talent level, but there's no chance. Whatever players missed and to Gabriel Floyd hurting, not being there in this linebacking class that is lacking or, or, or whatever it is, there's no chance that, that, that Texas has less talent stars or anything than the Kansas offense. That is just purely execution and scheme. I love, and you mentioned it, I love the Luke Brockermeyer story. I love it, I love it, I love it. He's an alum, He's he is a legacy, he came out, he is a guy who worked his tail off, mm-hmm. and he absolutely wants to be a part of what Texas is trying to do. That being said, I just don't know if Texas wasn't better with Jalen Ford playing that spot. Yeah. I, I And again, Schooler. I, there was a point in time where I was I was hopeful that Texas got the better of the two schoolers, um, but at this point, I would definitely trade him for his brother, sure. and it looked like the staff traded him for Maurice Blackwell, a guy who you and I really love, yeah. and I think the defense looked better. 
I, I don't necessarily know if that's a, a hot take or a controversial take. But again, when we talk about like, is this a tear it down to the studs? There are guys on that defense that I think young guys, 18 year olds, Blackwell, Jalen Ford, Byron Murphy, who's allegedly 18. He looks like he's 35, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Like there are guys on this defense that I think once they get and can take the reins fully, I think these are guys that will be um, able to, to take this thing hopefully where we want it to go. But it's hard for me to look at this team and see them winning two games with the way that the defense played against Kansas. And again, that's a dumb thing to have to say. If, if you thought Kansas offense was bad, wait till you play Kansas State. So they have a guy named Deuce Vaughn who might get 500 yards against this defense. Right. Um, he's real good and real shifty and real hard to get to the ground. Um, but anyways, we'll, we'll have a sad preview in a couple weeks for that. But uh, <laughs> Kansas was 7 for 7 in the red zone, Gerald. That's where I talk about you can't believe when you line up that – that team can consistently just whip you when they get in the red zone. And Texas has done it to much better teams all year. They've been able to lock down and trade field goals. They do that for three of them. They win this game. Um, they do it for one of them, honestly. But uh, you know, they they Kansas was an insane. They they were eight of their first nine on third downs. They ended up eleven for seventeen. Um, but they just were. It seemed like every time they had a third down, they had a seven-yard pass in the back uh, or a quarterback scramble untouched to get there. I mean, it, it was just kind of crazy how easy it was in the beginning of the game, especially for them. It, 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 again, if that's the point where you haven't adjusted and you're expecting an option attack and they instead have a short pass or an off-tackle motion run attack that you maybe weren't prepared for i don't know I, I i just you shouldn't get beat the way this defense got beat um even if they were on the field a long time that's kind of a symptom of you getting beat they shouldn't have been on the field wrong all that time if you get them off the field on some of those third downs uh if you get your hands on one of those you know not especially dynamite thrown passes and and you know take it the other way or just get the ball back to your team so the deficit isn't minus four on the offense, which admittedly is the story of the game. Um, you know, it, it 50 is, is 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 far too great a number for points in this game. Again, if there was a world where it was 14 to 56, I think that would feel more usual to both teams than what actually happened. Like that, that, that would have been a much more likely outcome than, than the reality that we just saw. I don't know what else to say, Kyle, other than let's talk about special teams and never talk about this game again. Sounds, Sounds good. good. So special teams and turnovers. Sark said it in his Monday presser, never seen a team lose the turnover battle for nothing and win a game. And that's 20 points off turnovers is a good way to get beat as a 30 point favorite. And that's what happened again, that, that, the two offense, the two fumbles, the two strip sacks by the same guy. One of them was on the offensive line. Uh, you saw it from the snap. The tackle just got beat off the first step, and you knew it. As soon as I saw the snap, I was like, this is going the other way. <laughs> so, or at least I knew it was a sack. I didn't know if it would go the other way, but I definitely knew the quarterback was getting hit. The second one was not as, uh, and I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, Carrick showed bad footwork on that play, but still beat the te beat the defensive end. Like if you're doing one on one drills in like a camp or in practice, and you make the 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 defensive end run the full circuit, go around and loop back up, the any offensive line coach is calling that a win. And so that might be on the quarterback. She's gonna go and say that uh, the quarterback held the ball for too long. I'll let you try to remember which quarterback that was, and if that's happened before, I'm not gonna say that either way. Texas also lost the penalty battle. 10 for 97, where Kansas only had four 
for 30. Texas blocked a punt that led to a touchdown, and that's honestly where I thought the game was going to flip and turn for Texas. But again, it was a game that did not go their way. The breaks did not happen the way that they needed to break, and Texas lost to Kansas for the second time in five years. I don't want to waste any energy talking about overtime. It, it kind of is what it is. Texas scored on theirs. They did what they needed to. Really ridiculous celebration penalty. But anyways, Kansas scored on theirs and did what they should have done, which is go for two. They had they had the chance. If you lose it, hey, you almost beat Texas. If you win it, wow, you beat Texas in Austin. And they did. And was there a hold? Yeah, obviously. But should that have been the point that all of the game came down to that call? No. Even the fact that you, you flushed the quarterback back to 20 yards and eliminated half the field because he was there that someone was – open by about six yards uh you know you deserve to lose and that's it texas showed some fight to get back into it glad that that happened versus the alternative um that goes into the evaluation of who those studs are that you're stripping it down to you know i love that double entendre that gerald offered there's probably in these next two games chances for freshmen for young players to just to assert themselves as being that for the future and we'll talk about that going forward Last update about this game, and then we'll move on. Kyle gave me an opening in Podstradamus. Uh, he missed on both of his with Texas going for 250 on the ground and a more than 30-point win. No, just, just 30. Uh, I said I the under on the oh, spread, 30. 30 total. Oh. I, I took the half-point leeway. Didn't want a, any gamblers gambling on my behalf. Thank God. <laughs> Either, either way, you missed on both of them. I had Worthy going. Honestly, I said he wouldn't have as many as he had, but he had buck 25, but I thought Texas would force two turnovers. In fact, Texas turned the ball over four times, so I appreciate you not taking <laughs> points away from me. But with four Podstradamus points left in the tank, I still have a shot to win this thing for the first time in the history of this podcast, and we'll be back on Saturday following the game to recap whatever the heck happened, and we'll be back on Thursday to preview it. So now 40 minutes in is the part of the show where we give some shine to the other sports and teams on campus, and we down the 40. So capping a terrible day, number five men's basketball fell to Gonzaga by double digits, double figures. They made it respectable in the end, but they lost the first half of the game um, by 20, thanks to the effort of a Texan who didn't end up at Texas, Drew Timmy, who just absolutely was dominant. But Texas actually outscored Gonzaga 47 to 39 in the second half. And Texas just did not have an answer in the post for Drew Timmy, who is arguably, maybe not arguably, one of the best big men in the country. And Texas didn't really have their big man who is probably not even on the level of Timmy anyways. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone's made this joke yet, but we're going to call him Drew Timmy Duncan for the purpose of this podcast. There may have been an answer, which was double team him. He had at least 20 points before I saw a first double team attempt. Um, I, I mean, Chris Beard makes millions of dollars to coach, and so I'm not going to second guess him. I understand they have some shooters. There's a lot of good players on that team. They, they held freshman phenom, number one freshman, number one player in the country, Chet Holmgren, to like two points. He had like a, a dunk underneath or uh, not not a ton, honestly, and he had a great opening game against subpar opponents. So they, they really took one of the twin towers out. They just couldn't do anything about um, – Timmy and, and and Timmy's an interesting guy because he feels like he's been around forever. He'll probably come back another year because I don't think he's going to be just an elite NBA guy, but he will go down the same way. They're they're probably all time great from Gonzaga. Well, Stockton's are all time great. They're second all time great. Adam Adam Morrison uh, was like you know he he might play in the NBA for a while, but I just don't necessarily think 
Timmy will be uh, a huge NBA prospect, but he is legitimately, I think, was the best single best player returning in college basketball this year. And look, Texas had a lot of them on that list who who ended up, uh, you know, coming to play at Texas. But I don't think any uh, player who came to UT was was as good or you know as fit. So look, let's rewind it all back. Texas went on the road to play the number one team in the nation coming off a national championship game that they felt they should have won, um, you know, and and brought a lot. They lost a lot, but brought a lot back and brought in some new parts as well. Um, a really good team with a great coach that, you know, also, I hope that's what the Moody Center looks like one day. That student section was amazing. But, you know, they had all, everything in their advantage. I said uh, originally my prediction was a 10-point loss would, would be good. We got 14. We didn't get to 10. But, you know, this was... If this would have even been a single digits game, I would have been shocked because that is a Final Four team. There's no doubt about it. Texas has the chance to be. I'm not ruling it out, um, but they have the chance to be. I just think this was also specifically constructed that their strength was Texas's weakness. Texas didn't get, of all the people they got in the transfer, a true big who could guard the post, who could bang bodies. The way Texas in the past has always had that guy and maybe not everything else, and they've had you know, a litany of lottery picks, Mo Bamba, Turner, you know, go back to whoever you want. They've always had that guy. They don't have that guy right now. And that's okay. You can still be a very good team uh, without it. But I knew this would be their hardest game of the year. Uh, It's also the second game of the year. This is an unprecedented team building exercise that's never been tried before because there wasn't a transfer portal in that way. And so um, just, you know, don't overreact. This guy isn't necessarily falling I think everyone who had watched this team or wrote about this team or thought about this team assumed they would start one and one, dominate the first game, uh, and 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 hopefully show some fight. And I think they did. I, th- I think they did. I think they'll figure out some things. Um, you know, I think Jace Febris is a guy who played some good defense, um, and he's been hitting threes. He might get some more minutes. Courtney Ramey, you know, his he's he's. he's He's bought in. He's playing the the good defense, doing the things he wants. You know, uh, the, the defense will improve under Chris Beard. They weren't great in this one, but they they will improve. And I think, um, you know, Marcus Carr will get more into understanding his role in this offense. And, you know, Timmy Allen will continue to do what he does, and teams will try to get him to shoot threes, which uh, he hit a couple of those, and maybe that will change that. But, you know, they, they – they are going to be a team that can score in different ways, but they Gonzaga made it look difficult for this team um, for a lot of the game, and they're going to need to figure that out. Luckily, they'll have you know some 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 patty cakes to really try some things out and see what works. But uh, but yeah, I think we always knew this was tough, and it it turned out to be. So next up for Texas, something that's not probably going to be difficult is the Abe Lemon Classic over uh, the end of this week. They'll play Northern Colorado on Wednesday to kick that off. The ladies, former number 21, now number 12, Texas women's basketball goes into Maples Pavilion and knocks off defending national champion number three, well, used to be number three, now number seven, Stanford Cardinal on their home Wood. That's right. Uh, the the Maples Pavilion. I, I think you know you can say they went into the Maples Center. Uh, but you know this is a this is a team Stanford that like legitimately thought this is a a repeat likelihood. They return four of their five starters. They have size and shot blockers, things that are coveted in any in any basketball game, but especially in the women's game. They are a good team. They're a good team all around. They they legitimately are a, a Final Four caliber team, I think, in Texas. 
I, I did not expect to win either of these games. I'm going to be honest. Um, and, and good for one of the two teams traveling to the, the, you know, West coast and doing the dang thing. And of course it's Vic Schaefer. And of course the way they did it too was, you know, just playing some good defense, getting hot at the right times um, and being efficient with what they wanted to do. Gerald, uh, Texas shot four of seven from deep. Stanford also made four three-pointers, Gerald. Do you know how many they took? 13. 27. They were four for 27. So they shot tw- oh. 20 more threes and made zero more threes. But, Gerald, the part that I, I just love, uh, if you listen to our Texas women's basketball preview and, and Alex Gomez came on and, and he's always great and always, you know, spot on. Uh, he mentioned that we were gonna, fans were going to love Aliyah Mathuro, who, who is a player who came from Mississippi State, Followed Coach Vic. He had she had some great uh, games there um, last year, but wanted to play for Coach Vic. She went f- all four of those, four for four behind the arc in a span of basically five minutes uh, in this run where Texas went seventeen to four uh, into the last minute of the game to basically give them the lead that would not be reversed. So they all of their three pointers were in a five minute span by the same person to close out in the final six minutes of the game. So you just love to see them locking in, getting efficient doing it right uh i mean it it was a it was a good classic vic game i'm sure he's got some things you know turnovers that you know not forced but that were forced upon them that they'd want to see uh differently move the ball a little bit with some assists uh you know slightly but all in all i mean they they just flat out did it they hung in when stanford made their runs texas never got too far behind i think it was never more than six you know they just they played punch for punch with a great team I mean, Coach Schaefer said it before the game. We got to survive the first five minutes, and then it's just playing basketball. But, like, the most Vic Schaefer moment of the game was, like, Stanford is trying to open something up down low, and Audrey Warren just jumped a pass. Excuse me. Audrey Warren, patron saint of our podcast, (laughs) uh, just jumped a pass and made one of the best defensive plays. She didn't put up many numbers, but that she had one of the, like, defining defensive plays of the night. So, incredible to see Texas go ahead and do that. Point guard Rory Harmon had herself a night uh 21 points and five boards on her way to big 12 player of the week play southeastern missouri on wednesday who just took a 50 point loss on the road so they're uh, not too great but they're gonna head then to knoxville tennessee to take on number 16 on the road over the weekend number 21 texas soccer fell in the opening round of the NCAA tournament to number 25 SMU. Uh, Texas only managed one shot on goal in the game. They had two chances, but they were just not quite there. SMU scored early uh, in the game and didn't really have, Texas was not really able to get back into it. And so it was a tough way to see an incredible season end, but it's a young team that will likely be back in this position sooner rather than later. Yeah, five of the 14 players who played at least 18 of, I think, the 22 games this season were seniors so they will be replacing a lot including goalkeeper savannah madden defender uh emma reagan ford mckenzie uh mcfarlane midfielder carly allen and and uh forward slash midfielder cameron brooks um but they're bringing nine of those back and of those nine a good chunk are freshmen they played a lot of youth and you know played a great coach we mentioned it in our preview um so this was a tough one tough way to end the season uh with with disappointing loss in the big 12 championship and in the opening round uh but i think that just lights the fire for these freshmen who form the core of this team and they're bringing some good freshmen in for next year so uh i think they're going to be they're going to be good for a couple years here with this really good group that they have 
Excited to see him back in that position next. Number two, volleyball swept the dirt burglars up north. Friday was a 25 to 22, 25 to 14, and 25 to 13 matter. Logan Eggleston went for 20 and a half points in five digs. Asia O'Neill, nine and a half, four digs in three blocks. And Sage Kahaana Aina Torres went for nice. four and a half and five blocks. I crushed that name. Saturday was even more lopsided. The opening set. Texas won 25 to 8. Suck it, Sooners. <laughs> Suck it. 25 to 21 and then 25 to 14. Asia O'Neill had the high watermark for that one. 13 points for Diggs. Skyler Fields, 12 and a half points for Diggs. And Logan Eggleston, not to be left behind. 12 and a half points, 7 Diggs, and 3 aces serving. Next up for the Longhorns. Next up for the Longhorns, staying home to take on Kansas State in a Thursday-Friday matchup. Second to last. Taking the last outing of the regular season before taking on Texas Tech and then the postseason, which should be fun as well. And then finally, number 14 men's cross country won the NCAA regionals and they're advancing to the NCAA championships this weekend on Saturday. Yeah, they outdid the uh, the number seven Arkansas Razenbacks. So just, just you know, suck it. Arkansas half two night wins. And on the women's side, Beth Ramos qualified individually for this weekend's NCAA Cross Country Championships. Have to. Another patron say to the podcast. Love that guy. He's incredible. And now it's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle. What are you banging the drum on this week? We talked a lot in in the opening, kind of in the middle, as we talked about the Kansas game. I think it made us more uh, macro and more existential maybe uh, than we typically are in our breakdowns. Um, But I still want to circle back to it. It's year one, folks. Um, We all hoped that that would go smoothly. We all hoped that this would be okay. Like I said earlier, Steve Sarkeesian certainly didn't expect this year to go this bad. No one in this staff or in any of those, you know, lockers expected this year to be this bad. But that does not mean that all is lost, right? This is also not that unprecedented. From a from a most immediate term, look at Dave Aranda, right? A guy who had two wins last year is gonna take Baylor probably pretty close, if not to a Big Twelve championship game. You know, that that's good. That's good. That's a good turnaround. Um, they've done it a couple times. Unfortunately, I hate that they seem to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, that's what buying in and letting a coach get his culture and, and take that step forward looks like. Texas first-year head coaches average about 63% win percentage historically across all of them. About seven to eight wins uh, is the normal. The people who've ever... Done better than 63%. Mac Brown went 9-3. and three. Fred Akers went 11-1. and one. A guy named Edwin Price went 7-3. and Daryl K. Royal went 6-4-1. and one. You know, uh, if you take that Fred Akers 11-win season out, this is, this is a... Texas coaches don't win more than 60% in their first year. It's just not... It, it isn't the norm, and that's okay. You know, Alabama is even worse. They win 46% of games their first year Nick Nick Saban included in that you know if if you look historically across and, and this is look this this should should give some hope as because this is the way that I think our fans see ourselves the overall record of all first year head coaches for programs who won a national championship after the year 2000 they've won 58.8 percent in their first year 
call it seven, less than seven and a half games, one in somewhere around five to five and a half games lost, right? Depending on how many games you play. It's not great that we started off bad. You'd love to be the one that bucks the trend. That Mac Brown first year was great. Fred Akers 11-1, great. You love to see that. Here's the thing I'll say. If you want to see the jumps in year two, if you want to see the jumps in year three, if you want to see the program building dynasty in year four, five, and six, I'm not saying we have it. We know it. Every coach is perfect. There's not going to be changes. Every player we need is either in the portal or coming in the recruiting. There could still be some bumps. There could still be a lot of bumps. But you have to give coaches years two and three and probably four and maybe five. What if we just got out of our own way and we didn't have a new defensive coordinator every year because we didn't like how they started? We didn't hire a new position coach where we have kids on campus having four coaches in their four years on campus. Like Continuity does a ton. Getting from year one to year two doesn't make any difference if you're turning everything over every year. We've done that. We've seen the results over the past decade of not working. I ask that everyone under the sound of my voice listening to this podcast, tone it down just a smidge. Bring the heat just a little bit down. Let's get to year two. And then let's talk about how we make year three, year four, year five. The the level that we expect and want to be. We go into the SEC and we're competing and we are where Texas should be. A lot of the talk at, at, around what is happening at Texas or what has gone wrong at Texas is about a lack of development. But we then expect a new defense to be installed every year, which doesn't just take a, a spring semester and a fall camp. Uh, like you're still learning the defense throughout the year and you can't develop and grow and add to your skills as a player. If you're having to spend your entire freaking season learning and trying to understand like, that's just how it works. You've got to get comfortable before and you've got to get comfortable before the, you can then get uncomfortable. You got to learn the fundamentals of how to work this system before you can then challenge yourself to do more in the system. So I'm thinking the drum this week on something similar to Kyle, but just, just a little bit different. So one of the things about the, the loss to Kansas over the weekend wasn't just losing to Kansas, but it was the unbridled joy that all of the other schools in the Big 12 had at the win. It's tough for me because, like, if, if it's literally any other school, like, I'm through the roof about a walk-on who had never caught a pass before catching a game-winning touchdown to win their second game of the season and their first road win uh, in, like, 13 years. Like, I'm through the roof. But, again, because it was against my team and we are currently the laughing stock of basically everything that is football, it was hard to enjoy. But I, I want to I just take a moment and I want to I wanna say this. It may not always be like this. It may not always be that the rest of the, the college football universe absolutely revels in the, the despair of Texas, but they're salty at the joy of Texas. And again, if we maybe take Kyle's advice, like we just talked about, I think we can get back there. And so part of the fun of being on top is being okay when things aren't going well. And when and if Texas does get back, having to sit in the, the muck, in the ick, in the gross of the rock bottom makes the next height even better. I'm not doing like that weird, like, real fans don't turn off the game ball. Like, I'm not doing the fan virtue signaling thing. But what I am saying is that, like, if you're going to 
ride the roller coaster, then don't be mad when you get to the lows, right? That's what sports is. That's what sports do. And that's part of what happens when you like tie your leisure up in the performance of somebody else. You could go to a play and somebody could flub a line. You could go to <laughs> whatever. You could go to a, a, a you go to a concert and the lead singer shows up and he's not ready to go that night. The point being is like, this is part of it, right? Every Saturday, 50% of the football teams lose a game. And so we have to be okay riding that roller coaster or don't get on in the first place. And that's just part of what it is. You can still be a good person. Life can still be fun. You can just hate Saturdays. You can hate Saturday for a specific three hours. You don't have to die all week, every week because of the football team. We want it to be good. We all want it. I promise as much as you want it, we all want it. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're stewing over Gerald and I's comments, uh, it's okay. It's okay to, 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 to just understand that we all want it to be better. We hope it will be. We're all going to hold people accountable to make sure that it, that it does progress in that, in that direction. But it's all, it's also okay. I promise guys, the sun, as I believe Quan Cosby tweeted out on Sunday, still came up, believe it or not. Uh, the world didn't end. We don't want that to become common. That's not what we're rooting for. But the world's still going. We're days past it. We got a fun basketball season to look forward to. There's other things. There's a lot of good Texas stuff out there. Uh, so support all the teams. And I promise it will help your mental health. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Kerbin. You can also follow the Texas Pre Gamer at Texas Pre Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, we're at Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. Maybe I can still win Potsdamus. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.